This is the Cop Think Podcast, where we answer the question, why do the police do what they do? I'm the host, Brian Casey. My guest is Brady Harrison. And this is going to be the topic. Are you ready? Yes. It's called uh, Dog Think Ooh, on the Cop think. think Podcast. Isn't that clever? Yes, I love it. Dogs do think. Well, and, um, we were testing the mics ahead of time, and I was wondering, do you have hearing damage from being a canine officer? I do. I have. I actually just went to the ear doctor this past year because uh, for about a week straight going to bed, all I could hear was this high-pitched noise of ringing in my ears. And I'm like, what in the heck is going on? And didn't know if it was me turning 50 or uh, or if there was something going on with my hearing. And uh, lo and behold, I have... Uh, was it tinnitus in or tintinus is sometimes what it's called. Uh, so I get ringing in my ears from time to time. I don't have it right now, but for almost a month I'd lay down and go to sleep every night. And I had that lovely ringtone going through my brain. And I, uh, I, I think I got that from my very first dog. Um, in my career, I've, I've worked four dogs and my first dog, every time I would sit down, he would scream and bark in the back seat. Every time I grabbed the shifter to put it in drive, he would scream and bark at me. Every time we'd drive by somebody, he would scream and bark. And I had him for about four years, and it was constant. So, yeah. I, uh, I, I never heard some, a canine officer describe a dog screaming. Oh, yeah. He, uh, he screamed and then barked. I could, I could do it, but we might blow your ears out. Yeah, don't. What, what did, what does, um, what, in all the training that you do, how come they... Is it futile to try to train them out of that kind of behavior? It's also probably encouraged because they're like into the game, I guess. Yeah, you know, excited and right. The big thing is it, the barking in the car. Um, if you were to correct that behavior, and some people do, um, they don't associate that with the work outside of the car. So it's not like so. Some guys, um, or I've heard some people, sometimes they use bark collars inside the, the car because what happens sometimes is say if you go to training and that dog is watching other dogs performing their, their duties, right. Or their exercise. Um, and the dog's watching, they will sit and bark and bark and bark and bark and they can't contain themselves because they're like, why is he out there? <laughs> I want to be out there. I want the ball. Um, and what happens is they can bark themselves to exhaustion. So now it's their turn to come out. And they're just exhausted from barking for, you know, 25 minutes straight. And then your performance goes down. Yeah. So a lot of times what we do is we'll shield the dogs. So we'll put uh, things up over the windows. Number one, in the summertime, keeps the heat out. But number two, it kind of cages them like a bird. So um, they might hear some of the stuff, but sometimes we put on some music. I'm uh, I'm kind of a KQRS uh, uh, 93X type guy. So I'll put that on the car, let him... Because it's got a K in it, or because yeah, maybe okay. I like that. Right. Never thought about that. <laughs> All right, but that works. It does. Um, it uh, it really mells them up because what they can't see uh, or hear, they kind of like eh. All right, I'm bored. I'll lay down. That's really interesting. The uh, and I can see where you're trying to conserve their energy. You want to be at their best. One thing I don't think a lot of people, maybe a lot of officers, know this, but people outside the industry is how different those dogs are at home. They're really good family dogs generally, right? Yes. Uh, the the dogs that we've had, I mean, every dog that I've had. So uh, 2001 was my first dog and um, loved, loved my wife and was actually uh, raised on the east side. 
and um, your wife he, or your dog? Oh, funny. Actually, my wife. <laughs> she was she grew up off of Cook Avenue, uh, right off Payne. So yeah, she is an East Sider. Um, there's lots of jokes there, but we'll just leave that for another <laughs> podcast. How's that? We'll we'll call that podcast East Side Pride. Um, but uh, he was uh, got blood. He had bloodlines from Germany, but he was a house dog for about a year and a half, two years. And the homeowner was just kind of like, you know what? I can't handle this dog anymore. I think this dog should work. He should not be sitting in my house. And he uh, he donated him to our unit, and I was lucky enough to get him. And um, he was probably uh, one of my toughest dogs. Um, wasn't afraid of a lot of things. And uh, now we call that environmental. He had very, very little environmental problems. Uh, he was very, very strong and very confident in his job in lots of aspects of, of, uh, of the work. Um, unfortunately with him, about three and a half years, horrible back injury. Um, and about the last two months of working him on the street, <laughs> I had to give him handicapped parking. Uh, so I parked next to a curb so he could jump in the car. I mean, it was literally three inches that was hurting his back. So he couldn't go from the street to the car. Um, and probably the last month I would actually physically pick him up, put him in the car because of the breed. And that was, a. uh, so he was a German shepherd dog. Um, and he was long, he was about 90 pounds. And back then being brand new, I didn't know any better. Um, I did agility a lot. I mean, I just really kind of pounded that dog, um, not knowing how to really, um, compartmentalize my, my training and go, you know what, maybe I should take it easy today. Um, so that comes with experience and that poor dog, uh, he suffered through it with me and he was awesome. I loved him to death. He and I went through trials and tribulations together. Um, and he was awesome, but, uh, probably one of my strongest dog. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I'm going to come back to the different dogs you have. Yeah. Um, um, and also the training and get to the cop, the dog thing part. But I wanted to ask you about your, a little bit about your career into policing. And before you got into policing, do I, do I have this right that you wrestled in college? Oh, my God, a long time ago, yes. Well, because you are in college a long time ago. <laughs> that is correct. You didn't go from grade school to college or well, on a no, wrestling? Well, not with, no, not with this brain. <laughs> I needed every grade. For the listeners, he's pointing to his right side of his head. Oh, is that, yeah. is that something with your I don't know. cortex <laughs> or something? <laughs> I'm just trying to create a visual image. Right. Tapping that bald skull. Got it, yeah. Okay. It's beautiful. It is. The, what uh, you wrestled in college. I did. Yeah. Yep. I was very fortunate to actually come from a great high school program. Um, I wrestled for Simley and uh, Coach Short, uh, God rest his soul. Um, he passed away a few years ago from cancer that he fought and stubborn man. He fought it till the bitter end. But uh, he was in the coaching hall of fame uh, for high school coaches. And I was truly blessed to be um, with him and his four boys that wrestled um, and he got me to the level that uh, I knew I could get to. So it was one of those probably uh, marriages of uh, you had some skills, some talent, some natural abilities, and then you get really well coached by someone you uh, wanted to please and do well for. Exactly. Um, but and that all, was in high school. Yep. And, you know, and a lot of it is um, mental toughness. You know, and I think that um, in life with every job that you do or, or anything you come across, if you don't have mental toughness – you probably won't succeed at some things. How has that served you as a cop, mental toughness? Oh, great. Absolutely wonderful. Um, 
you know, early on in my career, I think uh, I had three years on the job. Um, I was involved in a shooting and uh, got through it like it was just another day on the street. Number sure. one, uh, my mom even says, she goes, it was your wrestling that got you through it. And I'm like, part of it, yeah, but our range staff is so awesome and they still are today. It was just automatic. I knew what to do. At every step, within seconds, I knew what to do. You were, uh, if I recollect that, you were by yourself? Yeah, that's correct. And was it the, I don't know if it matters, we cut it out if it's wrong, but was it at M&H yep, or something? Yep, it was at M&H. Yeah. And uh, three years on the job, or almost three, had you been a cop before? No. Well, I was a part-timer down in Hastings, but all I did was work weddings. <laughs> yeah, right. And there were hardly any shootings at those. No. Yeah. No. And Hastings. if there were, you pretended they didn't happen, I Right. Yeah. So um, you engage this guy. I don't know. What do you want? You want to say more about that? Uh, Other than you, the mental toughness. Can't you yeah. That? You know, it just um, I ended up chasing uh, one of the suspects out of a pickup truck, not knowing what the heck was going on. And then at my peripheral, all of a sudden, gosh, I think someone's running at me. So I kind of look to my left. I'm like, oh, crap. He's got a gun <laughs> and he's racking the slide. So I just kind of I look back at the guy I'm chasing because that's where my brain went. And I'm like, wait a second. I look back. Oh, yeah. Yep. That's a gun. This is a priority. Yeah. So I unholstered and gave him directions to, to drop the gun. And he didn't do it. Um, and I did it over the air. So the whole city and whoever monitors our radio basically heard me um, ask the guy very nicely to drop the gun. Yeah. And then some other... Not so nice words came out of my mouth uh, two more times, and he didn't do it. So then I, I, I shot at him and dropped him. And lucky for me, his uh, his gun stovepiped. And, uh, yeah, he lived, um, walks walks with a cane and a colostomy bag. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's a gang member. Yeah. So, yeah, and he's my age. He's 50 now. All right. Well, good work. Yeah. Um, and that was three years. And then how long after that did you end up with the dog? So, um, probably about a year and a half. I, I applied for that job, uh, deal. Yeah. Cause no, actually it was the next year. Cause that was in 2000 and I got into the canine unit in 2001. Okay. So that's a pretty long time. So you've been four dogs, um, about 19 years. Really? Yeah. Which is not a record. For our agency, right? Uh, I'm close. Who, what was... Um, um, I think John Shrewd was maybe 20, and Fick oh. might have been 20 or 21. Okay. I can't remember, because Fick left when he got promoted. Yeah. And I'm trying to think if John left before him or after him. No, but no, think, John... Okay. I think 20... I think John left after him. Yeah, I think 20 right. is is the longest. That's a long time. It is. To be in that a couple of things that I think of it is a long time to, to be on point too. Mhm. Because if people understand what canine officers do, that's a different job than regular patrol work, which is obvious, but how on point you are a lot. Uh in a lot of real intense things. Yeah, you know, um even in school, we we tell guys, listen, when you leave this school and we we train we train other agencies, we tell you you're going to be the quarterback of this search and you're going to be the leader. And even if a sergeant shows up, a lot of times sergeants will ask us, sure. Hey, what do you think? 
or what do you think you should do, you know, with the dog or what do you think about the search? So you really have to have that kind of that leadership role. And once again, that mental toughness to take all that stuff in and get through it and be successful. Well, and you're, uh, you're part of a really legendary, outstanding canine unit. I mean, that is not an overstatement. That is... No, I agree. Um, that we have a lot of history and set a, set a you know, I don't know what the, how you would, how, 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 how is St. Paul's viewed nationally? So we are the second oldest canine unit in the history of the United States. Yeah. Uh, 1958 is uh, when we started. And Baltimore was the original. They were first. Yeah. Uh, we had three canine handlers, uh, Ed Buhlman, Bill Swagger, and Larry McDonald, who is the last surviving member of the three. Bill passed away early on, I think in his 60s, from a medical um, issue. And uh, we just lost Ed, I think, last year. Time flies so by. Ed was 90, like 7 or 98. And uh, he went to every canine graduation. Wow. Did you say the names right? Yeah. Bill Swagger, okay. Ed Buhlman, and uh, Larry McDonald. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yep. And Larry is now, I think, early 90s. Yeah. And just a spitfire. Really? Yeah. So you, us in Baltimore. Yep. Did you know that we're as old of a police department as Boston? That's we crazy. We both started in 1854. Really? Yeah. Wow. I'm pretty sure I got that right. Yeah. Um. And in Baltimore, they used, I think they used chihuahuas and poodles. Uh, <laughs> and that's where St. Paul kind of said, well, I think we got a better dog. Right. Right. You know, well, we always thought about maybe a feline unit. Yeah. Cats that can rub up against your leg and, sure. you know, lick you with their really sandy, right. coarse tongue. The thing that I think the reason cats would be good <laughs> is they're so aloof. Yeah, that you is true. I mean? That might be, huh. Um so I want to tell you a fun. Uh, maybe I think it's funny an interaction you and I had when we were in patrol. Okay, I, I know. I, I don't probably remember this, no, but okay, but you might remember it. <laughs> um, I was working east, and I happened to be working with my buddy Doug Wilson, and uh, we were in a dark alley in a neighborhood, in an alley dealing with something or checking on some people, and I hear out on the street. So our squad is in the alley. Here on the street, some loud, angry talk. So Doug was okay with the guy, or, or we had finished up, I don't remember. So I go walk around, and I see you out talking to some guy. And this guy is really loud. He's not following commands. And then he takes his sumo wrestler pose, <laughs> gets squat down. He's threatening you. He starts to stomp like, okay, I'm getting ready to charge. And I went, taser, taser, taser. And I remember I hit him, and I remember he went down like, I remember thinking, timber. You know, he just straightened yes. up and went down like a tree. I do remember and, that. And, and, and what was funny is... You didn't even know I was, like, you didn't know there right. was even other cops around. Right. And then you said, that was super ninja of you, you know? Yes. And, and uh, Oddly enough, I told that story yesterday because at training, they said that, uh, hey, download download your tasers, you know, on this side. I said, <laughs> yeah. And I asked, uh, I asked Nicole, uh, I put my fist in the air. I said, where do I download this taser? I remember him saying something like he thought it was cool. Yeah, and then like, he was like, yeah. Like, that was awesome. Yeah, that, I, yes. I've always wanted to be tased. Yes, and then after that, yeah, he was drunk out of his mind. <laughs> his buddy on the side was like, telling him, please don't. And I remember right. it from, like, I was there yesterday. I, I saw you come out of the dark like a ninja. I'm like, where the hell is Brian coming from? Where the hell was he? Is he a big foot patrol guy? Right. You know? 
and uh, you know, we're in the middle of the east side. Yeah. And uh, and I tell him, dude, you take one more step, you're going to get tased. And he's probably thinking. From where? Yeah. yeah. And he took a step. Zing. And then, like you said, timber. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, this work days. is hilarious. Um, <clears throat> so that was that. Um, tell me more about um, how what you've learned about how dogs think. Is that even the wor- th- way you think about it? They're thinking, or is it yeah. dumb to say thinking? No, because there's a process there. So when I first got in the unit, and you know what, it worked back then, and that's just what we knew, right? And that's what our trainers knew. And if they listen to this podcast and say, "Ah, bullshit," we told them this, this, and this. Well, this is what I remember. Okay. okay. I'm not that smart of a person, but I'm passionate. Um, back then, we did basically escape and avoidance training. So basically, um, you would give dogs correction, right? So if you were to tell them to sit and they didn't do it, you'd whack them on the leash with a pinch collar or a choker, right? Um, and we had live ring pinch collars, Um that we don't use anymore. We'd use the pinch collar, but it has a dead ring. It's not live. And we only use it for direction and to apply pressure. We never, ever, ever give any hardcore correction with a pinch collar because, number one, it brings social pressure to the dog, and we'll talk about that later. Um, But it puts a dog um, in a bad state of mind. And... All of our stuff now is reward-based, and it's building hope. So back then, the dogs really didn't think that much. They just tried to outwit or outbeat the corrections. So if I told him to down, he didn't down. I'd whack him into a down. So basically, when I said down, the dog's like, oh, crap, it's coming. So, And we did the same thing with the e-collars back then. They were always trying to beat the correction. Now, is that wrong? No, right? That's just how we were trained. I look how we've advanced our training in the dog behavior world on shaping behaviors. I look back at it now and people, you know, people can have their own theories, right? I think it was wrong, but that's what we knew back then and it worked, right? So is it truly wrong? I guess not because it worked for us at the time what we knew, but now finding something better and having the results that we've had the last few years it's remarkable. I mean, yeah, so training last night with the group, I told them in 2001, we'd spend half the day on this trying to fix the problems. Uh, we just did this in about 15, 20 minutes because the people understand the theory, they apply the theory, and the dogs understand it. And it's just, it's so much easier. And the dogs think through the process. So I, I missed the part. So I get the kind of um, avoidance of the of the harsh response. But what are they doing in lieu of that or instead? So the escape and avoidance? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it's kind of the same thing. They want to escape the correction, right? They want to yeah. avoid the correction. Yeah. So then eventually once they figure it out, hey, sit. Oh, yep. I'm going to do it. Down. Oh, yep. I'm going to do it. So then that correction never comes, oh. right? Um, so now, um, I don't know if I'm jumping ahead or not. Um, so now we use opera conditioning and classical conditioning. Okay. That's what I'm getting at. Okay. So, yeah. So now that's where 
about five, six years ago, um, a friend of ours um, from Florida came up and we watched him at competitions and he was winning all of them. <laughs> and I just look at those dogs. I, I've been to, a, I was at a couple of those competitions and I'm like, that is awesome. And we had guys in our unit that were, I was just a lonely handler at the time, but we had a guy in our unit that was becoming the head trainer back then. And he's like, that is awesome. And that is better than what we're doing now. So that's why we changed. And the new uh, leader of our group um, for training even tells guys when we're at um, orientation, if there's a better system out there right now, I will tell you we'll abandon what we're doing right now and move to that. And a good friend of mine who was the head trainer up in Winnipeg, um, he's now retired and, and works a bomb dog for the Winnipeg Jets. Um, and he said, if you think you know everything, you probably should be done hmm. because you're always going to learn. I've done this for 19 years. I am still learning today because the dogs, I mean, every dog is different. I have been so lucky to train over probably 150 dogs in uh, the last, you know, five, six years. Um, and every dog is different. There's some similarities, but there's always something unique about a dog. Well, when Andy Lewis was on, he talked about um, working mounted in horses. And it was fascinating because he made his kind of own discoveries about the horses, you know, meaning he, his own observations and his own curiosity about why the horses are doing, which yeah. makes me think you're, you're, you're open to that too as well. I mean, you're, just, you're really interested yeah, in, the absolutely. Depth, in the depth of their abilities, I yep. guess. If the dogs can learn a task operantly, they will retain it much faster and bring that behavior back a lot more rather than me telling them to do it all the time, right? Now, is that that BF Skinner stuff? Yeah, so upper conditioning, you have uh, the four quadrants. So you have um, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, positive punishment, and negative punishment. So that's I tell guys in our school, um, that is kind of like our canine Bible because if your dogs can figure out that quadrant of when we're doing stuff, either it's if it's obedience, search work, narcotic work, explosive work, uh, bite work, any of that stuff, if the dogs can figure out that cycle and that formula, things are really easy. And what's funny is, so when we start doing like our obedience, we'll do it on treadmills and we'll try to work one thing. So let's say I'm trying to work focus. I want that dog to focus on me. So that's very huge in our training. So the dog starts to focus on us and we're trying to maybe have a little bit of duration. Let's say it's down the road and I'm trying to get maybe 10 seconds of focus before I give him a, a, a reward or a jackpot. So let's say he's just sitting there staring at me and staring at me. And he's thinking, okay, saliva's running out of his mouth, right? So now we're into the classical conditioning, right? And his dopamine levels are going through the roof, right? And uh, all of a sudden he goes into a down. Well, that's not what I want. I want duration focus. So then he comes back into a sit. He's thinking, what position do I have to do to get this reward? So a lot of times... Um, it happens in the beginning where the dog will look at you and within that second, the dog goes into a downed. 
and then he goes maybe goes into a sit and you're you're just waiting for stability maybe right so what we tell guys in our in our school if we see a dog that becomes operant um it's okay but we have to shape the behavior quick because you don't want to have an operant moving dog because then you'll lose your stability right so that's the behavior the thinking dog right I, I know what a down is. I know what a stand is. I know what a sit is. I know what the focus is. At what point am I getting, I'm, he's trying to figure out where am I getting rewarded here? What am I looking for? So, um, even if you give the dog a command, say I go tell him down, down, and I use a duration marker, which is good or a clicker. That's a duration marker. All right. So I go down and he goes down. I go good. And if I wait a second, all of a sudden he goes, he didn't reward me. Boop, goes back into a sit. He operantly went in the sit thinking, ha, is this where I'm getting my reward? Is this where I'm getting it? And then you give a negative marker, which is ne- which is different than saying, hey, it's not negative punishment or, or negative reinforcement. You just kind of go, no, down. Whereas back in 2001, they'd be like, no, down, whack. And oh. you'd whack the dog into a down. Yeah. So we just calmly talk to these dogs and we don't bring social pressure into our training because here's the thing we use food to shape behavior because we want it to be in low drive when you bring a toy or a ball into it that will bring the drive in the dog's brain right so it's just like um me putting down a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in front of you and you're like "Ooh, i really like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches but all of a sudden i slide over your most favorite meal in the world. And now you can't think, <laughs> right? All I can think of is, Oh my gosh, I want to eat that right now. I can't think, I can't think, I think. And that's what happens if we don't shape the behaviors in low drive. Um, and the dog doesn't understand it. We bring the most wonderful thing in the world out front. He, they don't think they lose their marbles. <laughs> you know, I've had dogs look through me after giving a command because the ball's out and my guy does it right now. If I'm holding onto the ball, he sometimes looks right through me. I'll tell him, you know, he's in a, I use Flemish with him. So I tell him off, which is down. And if he sees the ball, sometimes he just sits and looks at me. And he's just looking right through me like, oh, my God, I love that ball. I'm like, no, off. He's like, I have no clue what he's saying. <laughs> but that ball is so awesome. So some, you, have to, you have to train with those other motivating factors. Well, the reason I'm laughing so much is the listeners can't see your face. I mean, you, <laughs> I, and I think a lot of canine handlers do this. They can imitate dogs. Oh, my God, yeah. I mean, my dog, you know, emulates me. I mean, he looks at me sometimes, and I see that his look in his face sometimes. I'm like, yeah, I know I look at you like that. Knock it off. You know, the look of disgust, like, really? You're going to make me do this? Yeah. So, yeah, in, in you know, 19 years of it, you, you learn a lot of the mannerisms of dogs. Um, you know, have you ever read The Life of Pi? I have. I, I have never watched it or, yeah, or read the book. Well, I don't I, read much. I don't read much either. I yeah. can think I've read 12 books in my entire life. Um, and uh, that was one of them. What's the, what's the name of the study of animals? Um, is it a scratch and sniff book? <laughs> no, it's um. <laughs> what is the name of this research and understanding? Oh, darn it! Yeah, I don't it's going to be a very easy word that everyone knows, but me. But the I was fascinated by 
deepening my understanding of how animals think and work and zoo animals yeah. and all that stuff. Yep. And, and that book had a lot of it in it. And I had n- never fully appreciated it until it was explained. Right. Even how zoo animals, uh, they're I actually really contemplated this, some of this stuff a lot and even written on it about how comparable it is to some of the thinking in the street as police officers and mm-hmm. how we approach humans and such. But um, anyway, so back to the uh, zoology, I think is the word. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, is um, like how animals that are in zoos are like, yeah, this is, you know, kind of good life because I get fed. And, and if I escape the zoo, I'm thinking, how do I get back in? Because it's right. scary out here. Stuff like that. It was really interesting. Well, but, yeah. but also the zoo training. I mean, I bet when you're training lions, boy, you got to figure that stuff out. Well, exactly. I mean, look at the orcas, right? Yeah. Those are killer whales. Yeah. And uh, grant, there's been some incidents at SeaWorld, but for the most part, they have those whales doing amazing things. And they do it with food. Yeah. And they do it with building hope. Hmm. And they do it with classical conditioning and operant conditioning. So, I mean, it's it's amazing, you know. And um, when my friend from Florida uh, came up, he was the one that told me about the dancing bear. Okay. So, um, and you and I talked about it over breakfast one time. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that big drum or whatever platform that the, the bear is on. You know, I'm sitting there in the classroom, and he's like, you know why the bear dances? And we're like, because he's trained to do it. You know, the smart ass that we yeah. are. Um, he's like, no, because number one, hope. The bear has hope that food is coming down the lane. And we that's how we train all these dogs. The reason why our dogs today do everything you want them to do is because we build hope. Um, it'd be nice if we could do that... Uh, you know, with everything society, build hope everywhere, right? So we do it with our dogs. So back to the bear. So the bear is um, basically that uh, big little platform that he goes on. Um, for us, we call it a place board. So let's say I'm going to call that the place board for where the bear is supposed to go. So they bring the bear in. He has no clue what that thing is, right? So all of a sudden, the bear is in a ring, small working environment, kind of sniffs it. He might, he might have gotten paid, right? Bear sniffs the thing. They tell him yes or whatever his marker is. They click it, right? Also, the bear understands, ooh, that clicker, I get food. So they feed the bear. Dog goes, or the bear goes back to the thing, maybe puts a paw up on it. Click, comes back, gets that clicker, gets more food. The progression gets to the point where all of a sudden the bear goes on it, right? So then they wait it out. Maybe the bear goes back and puts a paw on it, looks at him, Right? And gets nothing. Hmm. Puts two paws on there, right? And it progresses. So now the bear is on there. Now the bear has just tons of hope. I want to go on that thing because that's where I get fed every single day. I don't get fed anywhere else. Just that place. That is now the feeding frenzy. So now he gets up on there. And now he's up on the two feet, right? He gets fed for that. So it gets to the point where all of a sudden now this is where some people probably like PETA and all these other organizations that are cruelly to animals, right? Um, And I didn't know this. Um, All of a sudden, that surface underneath his feet is actually a hot plate. (laughs) So they turn up it to where it's warm. And the bear is up there and kind (laughs) of shuffles around. They feed him, right? 
So then they turn up the heat. Once they have hope there, they turn it up a little bit more. Now the bear is kind of stepping on and off, on and off. They keep feeding the bear. Now the bear is really going, you know, side to side because they turn the heat up. Now the bear is just dancing and dancing and dancing and dancing and dancing and dancing. And they just give them jackpots and jackpots. So once that's conditioned, they never have to use that anymore, right? They don't use the hot plate anymore. Because the bear goes on there thinking, holy bucket, is that thing going to turn on? But, ah, I know what they want me to do up here. They want me to dance, and I get paid with lots of food. Yeah, so so it's almost like they... They progressively get them on there and understand, but they don't want to spend the months to get them to do that dancing move. That's right. They basically introduce it with the hot plate and then reward yeah. it. They yeah, kind because of speed up that learning. There's no way that bear knows that they want them him to, to lift his feet. Wow. Right. So we don't do that at all. But what we do is we have place boards, and we'll put the dog on a flex pole. And we'll put food. What's in. a flex pole? Um, a flex pole is a is a device that uh, we put in the ground, and then we can hook the dog up to it. Got it. So it's kind of like a, a front yard, you yeah. know, like leash type thing. So um, we don't do it like we used to our first year because it just took too long to have the dogs operantly go back and uh, back and forth of the place boards. So we preset the place boards with food in there. We hook the dog up. The dog has no clue what the place boards are. So we hook the dog up. We take a few steps back enough to where the dog can't get to the handler who has the food jacket on and has all the food. And the dog might sit and stare at the handler, right? Because, hey, I get paid for staring at you. Or what are you doing over there? I don't get it. Some dogs start sniffing the ground and walk all over the place. Sometimes the environment is, you know, helpful with wind. All of a sudden the dog sniffing around, wind hits him in the face. Ooh, I smell food. And the key is every dog at our school, the only place they eat is at our school. They don't go home and have a meal. They have to work for their food. So dog goes to the place board. Hey, there's food in here. Chomp, chomp, chomp. Okay, walks around a little bit. What's this place board over here? Hey, there's food over here. Chomp, chomp, chomp. So when he's eating that food there, the handler goes in, puts more food in the place board, comes back to position. It's like a like a magic trick, right? <laughs> and I tell guys, you gotta move faster. The dog's watching you put food in there. Um, so we've kind of changed our technique with that to where now we just kind of lure the dog in, and once he goes into the place board, we tell him yes. So the dog understands if I go in this place board, I get fed. Um, that's where we train our e collars on the dogs, and there's like a whole slew of people across the country and maybe the world that oh my god, e collars are evil. Uh, They're only evil if you use them in the wrong way. So we do a lot of stim feeds. So just like that dancing bear, right? So we'll take that e-collar and maybe put it at a two, which is a tickle. I mean, I put it on my neck at two, and and it's a tickle. Um, And we condition the dog or habituate him Hmm. to that level. Stim, feed, stim, feed, stim, feed, stim, feed. So what do you think is going to happen when I stim the dog? You're going to get a response, right? Salivation, because he knows food's coming next. Classical conditioning, right? Mm -hmm. So once we know the dogs handle that, we turn up the heat just a little bit. So now it's a little bit more of one. And then now the dog kind of reacts to it. Gives a little, maybe a little neck twitch or whatever. We feed the dog more. So we give him a jackpot. So more pressure equals more food. Because if you gave more pressure and you gave him a couple kernels, eventually he's going to go, not worth it. 
right? So I like to give this analogy, Brian. I come to your house every single day. I punch you as I punch you on the shoulder and I give you five bucks. And you're like, hmm, all right. So I come the next day, same thing. I give you the same amount, five bucks. So the fourth day I come by and I hit you as hard as I humanly possibly can. And I might feel good about that, right? I'm kidding. <laughs> and I give you five bucks and you're like, oh, what the heck? That's not worth that. But what if I punch you as hard as I can and I give you a thousand dollars? You probably go, you know what? I think I can take that hit for a thousand bucks. So the reward has to match the pressure. So that's what you mean by jackpot. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what's jackpot is you give them a big satisfying amount. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I tell these guys, some of these guys and the new guys, and you know what? I was there myself. Um, but in this new system, they think reps are the key to success. Well, in some part, yes. But if your dog, let's say, does it mediocre twice and you give him a couple kernels, and all of a sudden he does it perfect on the third one, give him the jackpot because then he'll remember, oh, I did it like this. I got fed a lot of food, right? So we call that positive reinforcement. And that reinforcement brings back behavior more often and quicker. Cash, I wish I would have known some of this when I was raising kids. Oh, I'm younger. right there with you. Um, my daughters have worn e-collars for a couple of years now. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, uh, tell, tell us a little bit about um, tracking sure. criminals and biting criminals. Sure. I mean, what, what, is, what is the – there's a, obviously – well, sometimes they're combined. Yeah. But what's going on in your mind and the dog's mind? And- sure. And oddly enough, I was listening to a podcast – on my way here, um, it's called Controlled Aggression. I think he uses that title just to kind of capture yeah. people. Um, uh, Jerry Bradshaw is the is the is the host, and he was uh, uh, brought a guest on named uh, Brad Gillespie. He is um, a Canadian. Um, I think was it the RMCP, the Royal Mounted Canadian Police, right? Um, fantastic, fantastic. Um, trainer and uh, guy of tracking. And just in this podcast, I just was listening to the other day and finished it up on the way here. I learned some more stuff. It's am- it's awesome. Mm-hmm. And I have friends from Winnipeg, same thing. We've kind of adapted their uh, philosophy. The Canadians are awesome at tracking. So I just had to get that into the podcast. Okay. Um, but my theories of that tracking um, and the theory is, uh, even with the Canadians, is... You know, dogs got. If you're gonna end up finding somebody, um, the dog has to know how to track. So once again, we use food. So um, when we teach these dogs how to track, um, we scuff the ground, and the dogs primarily are probably tracking ground disturbance, right? So the human factor is a part of it. So you have scent rafts coming off your body, okay? You're, you and you and myself, we're sitting here, and we have microscopic dandruff just falling off our body. And I'm not going to clean it up after I leave. Yeah, we got a. I actually set a tarp down. That's what that was for. Thanks. It's like so. You said you had gone to the gym right before this. That is correct. Okay. Um, and we use the analogy of pig pen from uh, <laughs> the peanuts, and, and some Snoopy of the, is the canine. Yeah, okay. and so pig pen when he walks around, he always has that plume of stuff coming off of him, right? 
So that's that microscopic dandruff, right, or the scent rafts. Um, but more importantly, the, the vegetation um, is the big part. Um, there's been studies where they took this big wheel with uh, shoes and they roll it down a hill, and the dog actually tracks right where that wheel went just because of the crushed vegetation. So there's multiple things that the dog has to think about and has to process in his brain. So we teach it right away um, as far as you scuff the ground, you put the food just on the other side of the scuff so the dog understands a little bit of human odor, crushed vegetation equals food. He goes to the next step. Crushed vegetation, some human odor, food. Crushed vegetation, food. Crushed vegetation, food, right? So it's that simple. Um, and once the dogs figure that out, then they some of them create a little bit more speed. Then they have a jackpot at the end of the track. So what happens is sometimes, and a lot of times, they'll start skipping the food. So they want to get to where? The jackpot. The jackpot, yeah. right? If we could go to Vegas and just pull it and get the jackpot the first time, wouldn't that be awesome? Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't happen. Well, it might happen, yeah, but it hasn't for me. <laughs> So we have to do the work, right? Um, so tracking is a very big important part of our job because it gets us to a point where um, maybe the guy is hiding and then now the dog is no longer going to track and he starts to air scent and that turns into an open area search. And then maybe he moves again and then that that odor dissipates a little bit and then the dog puts his nose back down. Oh. We just regained a track again. Based on the vegetation, you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And, and the human, right? Yeah. And, and, and obviously a dog, like a human, can go, I'm going to combine these uh, information sources. I'm going to switch from the air scent to the – I mean, he's going to combine those oh, yeah. those data points. Yep. And, and the biggest thing is the handler has to learn the cues of the dog, right? The dogs can give – every dog gives different cues. And the, the handler has to read those cues, because there's times where the environment plays a huge part of it, right? So right now, uh, you know, in Minnesota, it's very humid and hot. Well, that holds molecules. And um, you could get a dog where you have a hot, humid night and you have a nice maybe eight-mile-an-hour breeze coming from um, east to west. And uh, that guy is, you're downwind of him that dog could air scent you from houses away. Uh, one of our dogs the other day, we get to the mouth of an alley and the wind's hitting us in the face. The guy was seven houses away mm. in the front yard and yeah. the dog was trucking right along down the sidewalk where the guy was supposedly going. We get to the mouth of the alley. The dog stops, turns, looks down the alley and starts lifting his nose. <laughs> I'm like, this is awesome. Right. You know, and, you know, our, our canine handler gives that announcement, gets nothing, and the behavior of that dog just changes. He's like a sled dog now. Right. And we found him in the front yard, or I found him in the front yard, um, raking dirt. <laughs> I don't get it. Raking dirt. He thought, hey, I'm a homeowner. Oh, I'm just raking was, dirt. Yeah. <laughs> but the dog is, I'm not, yeah. I'm not fooled by. Right. So it was a nice <laughs> find for the dog, right? Yeah. It was a nice find for the dog. But that's the ability of their nose. Their number one, number one purpose is locating tools. Plus, he looked kind of like that Snoopy's character. What was his name? 
Oh, <laughs> pig pen. Pig pen. He's in yeah. pig pen. Isn't that pig oh, pen? Oh, it's hilarious. I'm just at my house doing oh, yard work. Oh, that's funny. Yeah, whatever. But anyways, um, that's why we use them, because their noses are so awesome. Right. And they process everything, right? We want active thinking dogs. Right. We don't want reactive dogs. Back in the day, with escape and avoidance, those are reaction dogs. I want active learning dogs. I want an active dog. I want a dog that wants to think and go out there and, and solve problems. And you see that the most in detector work. Yeah, okay. Well, detector work? Uh, explosives and okay. uh, narcotics. Yeah, okay. Now, you combine that with a handler who, um, you know, as a patrol officer, especially in St. Paul, you don't get to track people without a dog much because we are really disciplined about uh, setting up perimeters and calling canine yep. and all that. But occasionally times I've had times where I get to run after a guy or whatever, Yeah. as as we all do. And then you learn some things about human behavior. About you know, sometimes if they're right-handed, they'll pitch the gun to the right. If they uh, if they're right-handed, they'll pivot off their strong leg and take a f- their first move is to a left. That kind of stuff that you kind of maybe build this kind of library of knowledge about tracking humans. So you, 19 years of working with this expert, the dogs, mm-hmm. plus your own interpretation and your own kind of okay, this is a. I mean, you must be very good at tracking humans too. Just from your experience of 19 years, you know when yep. someone runs from a stolen car or has a pistol, you have to have collected a lot of understanding of how that human behavior is. Yeah, and certain people, it's funny, uh, there's there's two brothers that always hide in porches. And if we found out who it was, if they're identified... You knew they weren't going to keep on running. They were going to lock it down, and they're going to hide in a porch somewhere yeah. or under a porch. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, way back in the day, um, one of the canine trainers um, was like, yeah, you know, statistically, you know, a lot of them go left. Um, and, you know, you get the double backs. You get them run yeah. between the houses, and they go right back. And, you know, yeah, you just kind of learn those things. But here's the important thing. The dog will hopefully tell you if he double-backed. Because there's positive and negatives on those tracks that the dog will give. So he's tracking, tracking, nose to the ground, or he's trailing, right? So trailing and tracking are different. Um, so trailing is just, he's trailing human odor. So that is the dog maybe with his nose up off the ground a little bit, right? You see that a little bit in longer vegetation. But also you see that that dogs that truly are not trained to track, they, they're, they turn, are, they're uh, taught to uh, trail. Nothing wrong with it, right? Um but what happens is the dog will give you an indication that, hey, I'm not on it anymore. It might be a deal where he does a head snap and he keeps going forward. And you're kind of like, hmm, that was peculiar. Hmm. Every dog's different. Some dogs give great negatives and some dogs give very minor ones. And it gets to the point where the dog thinks, hey, if I just keep my nose down and I keep going that way, he's happy. Right, <laughs> and you can tell that oh. he's lost his, his gusto. Yeah. yeah, and then what you do is you circle him back, and and once again, active, you know, positive dog, and you've created hope on all these training tracks you've done with food and uh, rewards at the end. That if he relocates the track, it gets him to the end prize, the jackpot. Right. So um, there's positive positives and negatives that you read in the dog. And that will tell you if the guy went right or left. And here's the here's the case in in our city. A lot of times these violent crimes, they run maybe a block or two and they get in a car and leave. Mm-hmm. 
um, many, many years ago with my first dog. He tracked in the front yard. I could not find the track anywhere after that. It was a triple murder. Could not find the track. It drove me bananas. Brand new. Mm -hmm. Not very smart. (laughs) Made my dog search and search. And he kept on telling me, it's nowhere here. Mm -hmm. It's disappeared. Yeah. yeah, Why are you making me do this? Yeah. And then finally he was like, fine, I'll just bring you for a walk. (laughs) When he is unlike a human in that he's not emotional or he's, he's, what would you call it? Completely. I don't know if the right word is rational. Like there is no scent anymore. So I'm done. Yeah. You're like, you're wishing, you're wanting. Correct. You're adding all those. Yeah. And uh, in that case, motivations on in that case, they ran across the front yard. They shot all the people inside the garage and they ran across the front yard, got in the car and left. Yeah. So the, the dog was right. Right. But I was so inexperienced, I couldn't fathom that. So your dog was doing these funny hand motions like driving. And you're like, what does that mean? He's yeah. like, saying, he's in a car. Ray Morris kind of looked at me and shook his head like, yeah. you're a moron. Yeah. But but I love you anyway. Yeah. Um, you feed me, right? <laughs> what? Um, so the, do you guys refer to it? So what about latching onto a suspect what about biting i don't know if you even use that terminology anymore yeah we call it apprehension the apprehension obviously mm-hmm. so what how is what's that experience like and what's how what's your thinking and i've certainly seen it uh it's yeah pretty- yeah you know even across the country um that has gone down a lot um we slow things down a lot and um i think it's a good thing um but yes is there a time and a place for that yes when there is an officer safety issue, right? When it's the the worst of the worst and this person is not willing to give up and we've exhausted other options, right? Yeah. And the only thing we can do to resolve this is deploy a dog. Um, so things have changed from back when I first came on uh, to now. Where that was more common. It, yeah. And it was more, uh, yeah. more, more, and, and re- it, more readily used. And it was actually more accepted. Yeah. Right? The community kind of got it. Sure. Um, and over time and throughout the country, other canine officers and other canine departments um, have had mistakes. Sure. Um, and have had bad deployments and um, has changed a lot of laws. Um, but, you know, the way we run our dogs, um, we run them the same way. Um, our tactics have changed just a little bit. And I think uh, we've changed our tactics for the better. And we're doing things, uh, in my own mind, I'm doing things a lot safer. Um, for crying out loud, there was a couple of deployments where back in the day, I was by myself and it's a gun call. Mm-hmm. How stupid is that, right? right? Well, I'm with my dog. My dog can find him and I'll be the, I'll be the hero, right? Stupid. Absolutely stupid. And uh, I was lucky enough to, to have uh, one of our former chiefs, he was a commander back then, um, kind of tell someone, hey, can you talk to this guy? Right. He's a he's an awesome guy. Does a great job, but it's kind of it's kind of dangerous. Taking too many risks. Yeah. When well, now at St. Paul, I remember when we instituted cover officers. And, yes. And I was a patrol supervisor, right? We wouldn't even let our dogs go into other, or the canine handler go into other city without our own cover officers because we were trained how to act as cover officers. Right. And I've been a cover officer for you on yep. a couple occasions, but yeah. Um. Yeah, okay, I get it. Um, it's just that it is, um, but our dogs still need to have that ability to um, yes. latch on to people, yep. apprehend them. Yep, um, absolutely. Though it's, though it's, 
it's treated with a lot more caution yeah. and well it, let's say it this way it's just evolved with anything with this industry exactly yeah we slow things down and here's the thing we don't sit and solely train for our dogs just to wildly go after people right right our dogs are social you see them at the state fair the dogs know the task right so dogs learn in pictures right so they know the picture of of the task at hand um but more importantly we and we train our dogs to be prepared for the worst day that's the way i was thinking the worst day and that's not something that we're just doing now I was told that my very first year in the canine unit, you know, um, because those guys believed we have to train these dogs for the worst day possible. And of course the worst day is one of us, uh, getting shot and killed. Right. And that suspect is still out there and he will kill more. So if we don't prepare our dogs for that worst day, what good are they? They won't do the task. Right. And then they'll put more cops in danger. So that's why we have to have these high-level dogs and the dogs that can work through pressure and can work through environmental things. Um, and that's why we put dogs in training through these environmental things so they can think through the process and they can problem-solve themselves. But if I'm always there trying to help them through the process, they're not going to think. They're just going to react to me giving them that's something. That's suddenly occurred to me. Are mo- your dogs able to if you are for whatever reason incapable to give them instructions, will they fill some important gaps on their own? I'm smiling because there's been dogs that have made crappy handlers look really good. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. Yes. You get an awesome dog and a subpar handler, that dog will make that handler look like a rock star. I'm not that guy though. Oh, I'm kidding. <laughs> so um, I'm going to do a commercial here, but maybe think about a couple things while I do this commercial. One is I'd be interested in you just running through your four dogs you've had and, um, you know, what was their strengths and weaknesses. That would be kind of oh, interesting. That would be funny. Okay. And then their names and their, their, Absolutely. their some of their quirks. Also, too, is um, I'd be interested in, at least maybe with your current dog, what is your going-to-work ritual? I mean, that's kind of comical when people like, okay, he's laying around, and suddenly he gets a whiff that the first indication that he's you're going to work. Sure. You know, whether it's getting a uniform on or some other thing that you do. And then, uh, so think about that. Also okay. think about maybe the most spectacular canine, one of the greatest successes you had in your, your job, where you and your dog... And I've talked to other canine handlers before, and they can think of a really great apprehension or yeah. life-saving event or right. funny event or whatever. So I'm not going to have to remember all those questions, right? Um, no. I got them written down here. Okay, thank you. So, um, so uh, before we end, I want to just mention that if you enjoyed this podcast, you might be interested in my book. It's called Good Cop, Good Cop, A Get Healthy, Stay Healthy Guide for Law Enforcement. It's mostly a, a mental health and well-being book. Um, but it has other stuff in there as well, including some of the things that we talked about now. Um, and the book uh, is in print or audiobook. You can get that on Amazon. And you can also find more information about uh, what I do, uh, Blue Watch Training, the um, podcast, some other things, as well as the book at goodcopgoodcop.com. And uh, one thing I was going to give you credit for that... <clears throat> 
this has really been super interesting to me. Okay. Um, I actually thought dancing bears, like they went out in the woods and looked for a bear that liked to dance <laughs> and then captured that bear yeah, and then no. dragged him into the zoo. No? Okay. No. Well, that's good. Just kind of like the orcas. They don't jump through hoops or, you know what I mean, in the ocean. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> and then um, and the, uh, the uh, what's the Coast Guard uses orcas, you know. Yeah. The... Um, also, the thing I was going to mention about wrestling, uh, you were talking about wrestling, being a wrestler. So I wrestled in uh, up through, up into high school, but not long after that. Okay. Um, and I remember, do you remember this in the academy? At least they used to say, you don't want to go to the ground with somebody. You always want to avoid that. And I remember yeah. thinking, and I bet you, right. I remember thinking, I feel really comfortable on the ground. Yes. Um, I'm a horrible boxer. Exactly. And I lead with my face. <laughs> But I remember thinking, um, you know, I, I wasn't as nearly as accomplished wrestler <clears throat> as you, but I also had four brothers, so that helped too. But, Absolutely. Um, I really felt com- more comfortable on the ground, and I always was really pleased with my wrestling experience yep, as being I agree. A, a police officer. Yeah, know? the worst part about it was cutting weight. Yeah. Not fun. No, I, yeah, I, and my brothers wrestled too. So. Sure. We'll do a wrestling podcast sometime. Um, yes. You got that? It got you excited. The um, we'll wrestle after. Oh. <laughs> what do you think? All right, thanks, Terry. I'll got, be on the bottom. Terry got me out of that. The less we have to cut out, the better. It just. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, what I had asked you about is. Um, <clears throat> sorry, let me clear my throat. <clears throat> is your four dogs? Just run through them real quick and some of their. Sure. Quirks. So Justice was my very first dog. Like I told you. Um, worked him a short bit of time and, uh, I'd say his, his quirk was if I did not move fast enough during a track, he would actually start biting the grass that had human scent and the crushed vegetation. He get angry and he would just track. And if, like I said, if I was going too slow, he would start aggressing at the grass thinking that was going to produce something, but, uh. He was tough as nails, man. He was uh, he was a great dog. He loved my wife, and so being a new police officer, a new canine officer, and I worked off duty, and I lived in St. Paul at the time, and not in a bad area. Um, we're down in the Battle Creek area, but you know, my wife is young, and she's a little bitty thing, and I used to leave him home with her, and I'd go to my off duty. So I come home, you know, eleven o'clock at night, with my off duty. And there she is laying on the ground. He's laying down next to her with his paw around her shoulder, and she's singing to him. Oh. And I just looked at her and go, can you stop singing to my police dog? Yeah. And he just kind of looks up at me like, get out of here. We're having a date. <laughs> I'm like, you son of a Jealous guy. of your dog. Right. And he was probably my toughest dog, but he had that other side to him. All of our dogs, our, most of our dogs back then were like that. Yeah. But uh, so then dog number two was Sully. Um, he, not the same stature as, as Justice. Um, I remember doing a little yard to yard training scenario and he had some environmental issues. Um, he kind of had a little bit of a Frady cat uh, <laughs> scenario to him. And uh, we get in this backyard and all of a sudden he gets in odor of uh, the decoy who was a on the other side of this privacy fence. So he starts to scan, he works the backyard, and all of a sudden there's this two-foot garden gnome. 
he sees it and about jumps out of his skin. Because I'm wondering if he's associating the human odor with the garden gnome, right? Or what have you back then. He is terrified of this thing and won't move any further into the search. So I'm yelling to the decoy, hold on a second, he's afraid of a garden gnome. We're trying to work through it. But he actually ended up being probably my best tracking dog. I found the most people with him. Um, if you talk to two of my main uh, uh, cover officers, they're like, every time we go out with you, you find the guy. I don't find him. The dog does. Yeah. Um, but uh, he had some ailments as well. So I, I had to retire him after about seven years. Um, but once again, lovely dog. He was actually the dog that was on Canine Cops. So Sully was featured in there, and he was seven years old when he was on Canine Cops. Um, found a few guys on that show, um, and apprehended one on on film there. And so, um, just a wonderful dog. And as far as smarts, he and Justice, I would say, were in the old system, and they were compatible on how smart they were and how they performed. Um, you know, at certifications and stuff like that. And uh, um, they were comparable. Um, my third dog was Vito. And that was actually Mark Ficadenti's dog um, that he let go because he got promoted. So I was lucky enough to take him in because Sully was injured and getting retired. So I had to split my kennel at home because I had... Vito on one side, Sully on the other, and had a little wall between them because um, they just didn't get along. So, um, how did Sully take to being retired, like that old farm dog that feels replaced? Uh, he, he was okay. Oh, um, okay. Didn't like. I'm sure there was probably some, you know, like when I would take Vito, he'd just sit and just look at me like, you know, you bastard. Yeah, you you're know? not with that punk. Yeah, you know oh. what's wrong with me? Right. Like, well, you're eight years old and you have bad limbs. Right. And you're like, you know, you stay home and the wife will sing to you. Right. Well, exactly. But here's the thing. Those dogs, even though their bodies can't do it, their mind can, they think they can still do it. Yeah. And you know, and there's some humans like that. Right. Um, and that's the wonderful thing about these dogs across the board is that they'll go to the bitter end and, um, not to bring up any bad, uh, things in the past, but, you know, Nip, you know, Tim Jones and Laser. Laser was shot multiple times and was still crawling towards the suspect to get him and then died. That's the will of these dogs. They will go, most will go through hellfire to do their job to the bitter end, and they don't care. They have no ego. That's what's great about working with a canine. They don't have an ego. You know, I, I've had partners before, you know, I had, they have egos and bad gas, you know, and both are horrible. <laughs> well, for St. Paul officers and family, let's just say God bless them. Yeah. For that sacrifice yeah. that our agency and their families made. Absolutely. So, that story. But back to Vito. Um, he was unique. He had the look of, like, I'm staring through you, and, and he was probably one of the nicest dogs. But my wife was like, gosh, he's got a weird look. And it's almost like... There was a roulette wheel spinning up in his head, and the ball was just bouncing. He's just waiting for it to drop and see what to do. So, um, but probably one of my best uh, explosives dog. 
Um, so when I got him, he's only a, he was only a single purpose dog. So I imprinted him on explosives, did all the work by myself, and it was great. I had the opportunity to do all that stuff by myself with him. And we really bonded after that, um, you know, with having a previous owner. Um, that dog loved me to no end, which all of them did. Um, but I got to share that experience with him, and it was awesome. And he was a fantastic uh, explosive dog. But he was also a good police dog. He was a SWAT dog as well. He was my first SWAT dog. Um, did awesome 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 he's actually retired in montana with uh john peck wow so one of our old sergeants sure. right um john looks like moses now with his beard and his gray hair and uh Vito is just turned 12 and john said he loves eating chicken poop out of the out of the chicken coop all right and then he'll go there and lay down and chew on his kong amongst the chickens <laughs> So he'll stop, look around at the chickens, eh, and start yeah. Yeah. start chewing his kong. I, 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 he did tell me that he tried to uh, make friends with the cow. Okay. Cow didn't like him. All right. Kicked him about four feet. Wow. <laughs> the horse, the Belgian horse, loves him. They'll both go nose to nose, and yeah, Vito's just a lover of other animals, and uh, cow didn't take it to heart and gave him a big boot. Yeah. Well, you know, feet, yeah. You know, like dogs, they sniff butts, and I'm sure he was trying to sniff the cow's butt, and the cow was like, <laughs> not going to happen. Oh, that's great. So and, I, then, and then my last dog is Eddie. Okay. So he's uh, probably my smartest dog, but I think it's just because of how he's been trained, right, and his genetics. So we get our dogs from Florida, but those dogs are from the eastern block of Europe and in and, and that area, but that vendor goes over there and brings these dogs over. And you've got, we've gotten these dogs for the last five or six years, and their genetics are amazing. And that's part of it, right? It's no different than pro athletes. The reason they're there is, number one, genetics, but also they have the will to put the work in. And are they raised in a, um, um, what do you call it when you raise dogs? Um, in a kennel? A breeder over in Europe that... Breeds them specifically for that, and then the yes, yeah. So goes, where La- yeah, where Laz goes, and and he has made friendships, and he's a world class trainer as well. Yeah. Um, so he's made his friendships over there. He's been doing this over twenty. How old are they when he goes to get them? So the youngest we've gotten um, is ten months, and um, that's pretty young. But um, you know, if if they got good drive and and can work through some of the stuff, um, a dog. That age back in the old days of escape and avoidance wouldn't survive hmm. oh, because we shape everything with hope and reward. Yeah, you know, and grant down the road there's going to be consequence for their their actions, but um, we really shape these dogs' behaviors really, 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 really good. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, but yeah, the dogs that we get now is just their genetics are so awesome, and you know we try to stick the right dog with the right handler. So there are personalities, sure. right? Um, if I can remember the joke back in the day was, you know, there's 21 dogs and 21 handlers and all, every single one of them has a different personality. Um, <laughs> but oddly enough, the four dogs that I have worked, they have worked with my personality and they kind of morph into that same dog I've had, even though they have little differences, but they all kind of have that loving personality. But it's the bond that... I give to that dog. If you don't have a bond with your dog, 
he ain't going to do anything for you. Yeah. Right. Just like, you know, in, in life and marriage, if you don't have a bond with your significant other, see you later. Right. Life's too short. Right. I have a great bond with my wife. Blend on that. <laughs> yeah. No, I was going to make a joke about that. I won't make a joke about that. <laughs> Thanks, hey, um, what, um, and then just tell me one of your, if you have a, what, one of the most spectacular, proudest moments you've had as a canine handler. So, man, 19 years, here we go. Um, I would have to say the most fun and proud was a burglary in progress. And I was, it was my first dog. And that's probably why I'm so sure, proud. I get it. Um, one of the officers said, yep, good burglary. Oh, he's running out the back. He's wearing a white shirt, white pants, white shoes. Awesome, right? And mm-hmm. it's 3 o'clock in the morning. Um, and I'm coming up Maryland Avenue. And all of a sudden, all I see is running across Maryland. My man with uh, mm-hmm. white, <laughs> a white shirt, white pants, and white shoes. And I'm like, yes. Well, that's... And that's back in the day when um, we just deployed the dogs. Mm-hmm. We didn't use, well, we used leashes for tracking and stuff, but if we could apprehend them at that point, we'd pop that door, right? So get him out of the car or get out of the car, give my announcement. He just keeps running. I pop the door. Justice rips out. I start running. The dog runs and hits human odor, stops, turns, runs through. Uh, the front yard in between the houses. I'm right behind him. He stops by a gate because, of course, when you're chasing a bad guy, every gate's going to be closed, right? So he's hopping these fences and these gates. So the dog is like out of his mind wanting to get through because he's still in human odor, right? So boom, I open the gate. Boom, he blasts off again. We get to the alley. He stops, turns left, and goes up the alley. I'm just running with him. I'm like, that a boy. I'm running with him. I'm now 20 yards behind him. He runs, stops, turns around, comes running back at me. I stop. He looks at me, turns right, and goes uh, in between the yards. I'm like, oh, he's got him. He's doing this all through air scenting. So he's trailing this bad guy. And it's one of these summer humid nights. So all these things are kind of holding in place. So we go through that front yard. All of a sudden, he goes right down the front yard. And thank God um, the squad car saw him because squad car hits his brakes, sees my dog go through the, the front, uh, goes in between the houses, and next thing you know it, I hear him apprehending the, mm-hmm. the suspect. Thought it was the greatest thing ever. Now looking back on it and reflection, I'm like, holy crap, I am lucky I did not bite anyone that was walking around that night. Sure. But that's kind of what we did back then. Right. 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 Didn't know any better. But it's always good to have reflection. Yeah. Was it awesome? And luck. Absolutely. That was the most awesome thing I've ever seen a dog do um, because he did it on his own. He thought through the whole process. Yeah. He figured it out. Hey, I know what that odor is. I know I know to follow it. And if I find it, I get rewarded. Well, and also, even an untrained dog will see a rabbit and boom and go. Oh, yeah, it's predatory. Even a, I remember even as a cop, there was this instant exhilaration when you saw some bad guy running and it was your bad guy. Yeah. 
Even, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, boom, you're, it's like yeah, you're chasing a, a rabbit. Yeah, your adrenaline yeah, goes. Yeah, you know? it's, it's, it, well, that's good. That's great. And then you have done, I can't imagine in the 19 years that you and other, our other handlers, how much work you guys have done and um, been on point, recovered weapons, uh, done all the other things. Yeah. Done. So what, uh, before we end here, is there anything you want to promote? I should have told you ahead of time, any organization or thing that's you've, uh, whether it's related to your canine handling or other police work, I've got an idea if you don't have any. Yeah. Um, just support your local canine officers. I mean, you know, support all your police officers, um, especially in these times. But more importantly, like you said, these, I, you know, we tell our people at graduation, um, at our graduation, when we bring the wives to celebrate their graduation is I tell the wives or significant others, these dogs will bring your loved ones into harm's way and they don't care because Mm -hmm. that's their job. Uh, canine is one of the most dangerous jobs in the country and, um, I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of it. I'm blessed, uh, that every chief has allowed me to continue my, my, um, you know, my legacy, I guess, Mm -hmm. in this unit. Um, and the biggest thing, um, is to be humble about, uh, your experiences. But, uh, yeah, if I can promote anything is, um, if you see a canine officer there and you see his dog, um, just give him a, a thumbs up. Right. That that thumbs up or a wave or thank you for what you do uh, is worth its weight in gold. Well, and our officers, um, thanks for that. Our officers are really, our canine officers are pretty damn impressive. And um, yeah. I was on a call once where the dog got shot, you know, right uh, during an apprehension and, and all that. So, yeah. Hey, um, the only thing I was going to thought to promote is that if anyone wants to search, how would you search those um, canine what was that on i forget what was that canine cops remember that oh the animal planet yeah it was animal planet i'm sure you have all the discs and you make the family watch your episode every year yeah and relatives like an old-fashioned slideshow right my wife really likes to watch the first episode because it's our little girls when they were like oh because you're at they showed you at home or something yeah oh cool yeah so they were three and four and she lost it for forever she's like i'll just i said i'll just get another one we have the master yeah. group at the kennel well she just we're cleaning out we're doing the covid cleaning so yeah. <laughs> we just went to cheapo records with about 800 cds of music and she found oh. the first series in an adele cd box <laughs> really yeah so she's like hey i found the first episode um so, I'm, I'm in one of them and i'm sporting a pretty impressive mustache well do you remember what episode? Yeah, it was uh, Mike Ernster was on a tro- stop on, um, I think it was Dale or Lexington. I can't remember. We were assisting on it. So if you want me to find it. Um, I just want people to know that, that I yeah. had this great Auburn mustache at one That's point. That's awesome. Yeah. You sure it wasn't Ginger? No, I wouldn't say ginger, no. Okay, Auburn. But you did see my son here, and that's where you got that info. <laughs> um, that is great info. Thank you for doing this. I found it very interesting. A, a little disappointed about the dancing bear thing. That was That's not yeah. what I imagined. Um, so thanks, Brady. Um, and thank you for those that have listened to this and continue to listen to the podcast. Uh, that's it for now, and please go back to work. Yeah, take some calls, people. Ha, ha, ha.